Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Number one, that your name has been lifted up all over this city, all over this state, all over this country on this day, that the name of Jesus is glorified. And Lord, we are so grateful that we live in a country where we can freely and openly talk about it, share about it, that we can come together and worship and read your word together. And so, Lord, we are so grateful for that. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world who cannot meet like this, who are in jail, who are imprisoned for worshiping you, for sharing about you. And so, Lord, we pray today, Holy Spirit, be with them, encourage them. Let the joy of the Lord fill their, their cell. If they're sitting in a cell, Lord, uh, let the joy of the Lord fill their room, wherever they're at, Lord. We, uh, we pray today for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. We are mindful of them. We are, we are not forgetful about all that they are going through, Lord. And so, Jesus, we declare you as Lord. Lord, we thank you for everything you are doing. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place that as we read your word, you give us the understanding to uh, not just hear it and, and put it in our hearts, but to apply it in our everyday life. We pray for wisdom. Jesus, we declare you as Lord over this church, over this message, and over our lives. And we thank you for all you have done, all you are doing, and all you are going to do. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're here. It's Resurrection Sunday. Okay, I know it's Easter, Resurrection Sunday. I like to say Resurrection Sunday because that's what we as Christians celebrate on this day as the resurrection of Jesus. And so... Um, I'm going to start off with this thought, just so you know where we're going, okay? This is what it's all about today. Um, the Spirit of God will always encourage you to share the message of the resurrection of Jesus. The Spirit of the world will always ask you to be quiet about it. The Spirit of God will always encourage you to share the message of the resurrection of Jesus. The spirit of the world will always ask you to be quiet about it. So first off, sermon notes. They're in Instagram. You can go into Instagram in the story, tap on the link, get all the sermon notes. We're going to go through a lot of scripture today. So I encourage you, uh, get that on your phone. You can save it, walk away with it, and have those as a reference for later. But we're going to jump right into the book of Matthew. Okay, we're going to start off in the book of Matthew, chapter 27, and we're going to read first verses 27 through 31. And so we're going to go through a lot of text today, guys, okay? So act like it's, uh, I don't know, just, just stay away, okay? Do your best. <laughs> so 27 through 31. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting it together, a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Make, don't misunderstand what was going on here. He was being humiliated. Okay? Just so you all are, we're all on the same page. Jesus was being humiliated during this. Okay, they did it purposely. It was a purposeful and intentional thing. 35 through 37. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And again, this was done to humiliate him. 
This was like a, to, to, you know, make it even worse. He is dying and they put it over his head, a mocking uh, sign to say, this is Jesus so that you would know him by name. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And they did it to mock him. Verses 41 through 44. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So what we know is this, they mocked him. They were intentional in making him look like a failure. Okay, that was the intention here. And even they go so far as to say in verse 43, he trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. Basically saying, God doesn't even want him. So we go further in verses 45 through 46. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So make, let's, let's be very, very clear. Jesus in this moment literally called out to God saying, where are you? So most of us, if there's any place that you can feel any sort of empathy, understanding, or connection with Jesus, it is in that moment when you yourself have prayed or asked, God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Why aren't you with me? All the scriptures I read, all the things I've heard, the sermons, you know, and here Jesus is himself, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He died. Verses 62 through 66. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Okay, we've read through this. So I want you to know something. First off, this is something you should read as a Christian. You should read this in the Bible. You should go through, examine it. What was going on? You know, what was the thing, the moments leading up to the death of Jesus? What happened after that? So a lot of us here, though, we can know this. We, we can be pretty confident that a man named Jesus, okay, lived and was recorded in history. We can be confident of that. You don't even have to be a Christian, you don't even have to be a Christian. Okay, there is enough or extra biblical proof that a man named Jesus walked the earth. Okay, you don't have to be a Christian to believe that. We can conclusively understand that while he walked the earth, he was an important figure. There was extra biblical moments that were recorded throughout history 
And one of them from uh, this website, this, this guy, Jay Warner Wallace from coldcasechristianity.com. And I say that so you guys can go check it out yourself. Um, but he says this, there are also non-Christian descriptions of Jesus from the late first century to the fifth century. Now this guy, Jay Warner Wallace, just to give you some background, he actually was an atheist. And he is actually a detective. Uh, he was like a homicide detective, if I recall correctly. And he literally said, I'm going to study to see if this guy was actually real. Because if he was, there would be evidence of who he is. So this guy became a Christian through literal investigation of the man Jesus. So he writes this, there are also non-Christian descriptions of Jesus from the late first century to the fifth century. There are a number of ancient classical accounts of Jesus from pagan non-Christian sources. So he, he provides for us uh, some of these sources that talk about Jesus. And so I'm going to read some today. There's Julius Africanus. He referenced texts from Thales' history from 52 AD. Okay. On the whole world, there were pressed a most fearful darkness. And the rocks were rent by an earthquake, and many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. This darkness, Thales, in the third book of his history, calls, as appears to me, without reason, an eclipse of the sun. So here's this moment that was recorded in Matthew 27, verse 45. It says, and now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So we see evidence outside of the Bible pointing that this actually happened. We go to Mara Bar Serapian, Serapian uh, 70 AD. What benefit did the Athenians obtain by putting Socrates to death? Famine and plague came upon them as judgment for their crime, or the people of Samos for burning Pythagoras? <laughs> In one moment, their country was covered with sand, or the Jews by murdering their wise king. After that, their kingdom was abolished. God rightly avenged these men. The wise king lived on in the teachings he enacted. And these are not, this is not biblical. These are not Christians. These are not followers of the way. These are simply men who were of reputation, who recorded these times in history and provided the, uh, basically like scrolls, right? And was referenced outside of the Bible. Phlegon 80 through 140 AD says this, and with regard to the eclipse in the times, time of Tiberius Caesar, in whose reign Jesus appears to have been crucified and the great earthquakes which then took place. So we see evidence of the earthquakes that are talked about in the Bible, the, the darkening of the sky, the earthquakes themselves, but the power of Jesus even beyond the recorded miracles was the resurrection. So we know, we know that Jesus existed. He was a man, walked the earth physically, not metaphorically, not an analogy, not as an example of, it was a physical representation of God coming to earth to save us. Okay, further, Phlegon um, in 80 through 140 AD says this, Jesus, while alive, was of no assistance to himself, but that he arose after death and exhibited the marks of his punishment and showed how his hands had been pierced by nails. There's a record of Jesus appearing. And this isn't in the Bible. We as Christians follow the Bible. We read the Bible. That's how we grow in our faith, right? That's what we do as Christians. What I'm trying to get you to understand is it's not just the belief in Jesus. Because there is evidence of who he is. 
It's the submission, surrendering, and following of Jesus that makes us a Christian. I got one. Mm. All right. (laughs) The resurrection was a platform in which Christianity spread. To this day, we preach not just of the death of Jesus, but of the life that came despite death. That is the power. That is the power that we see Jesus in his miraculous authority. He died and resurrected. That is the power. Close to two decades after the resurrection of Jesus, a man named Paul wrote about the resurrection. Paul, before becoming a follower of Christ, was named Saul of Tarsus, and he violently persecuted the church. He was not of the way. He was not a Christian. He was against this type of meeting. He was somebody that would find a reason to close it. Right? Just coming in like, oh, COVID, you're closed. Whatever reason. You know, like, oh, too many Latinos. You know, (laughs) no. Whatever reason he could find. He would find a reason to close it down. Okay? Romans uh, 1, 3 through 4, NASB says, Concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is Paul writing. Okay, Paul, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The same guy who persecuted the church now writes about him, saying, Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Timothy 2.8, ESV says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. What Paul's saying here, there was this man, Jesus. He is our Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, NIV. And this is a text that I think all of us should be familiar with. In verse uh, 3 through 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So let's pause right there. As of first importance, why did Jesus die for our sins? Okay, so let's be clear. Sin is something that we have to talk about. Sin is something that is a reality of our everyday life. Sin is something that if we are going to claim to be Christians, we have to have an understanding of. Jesus didn't die for just no reason. He died for our sins. This is what scripture teaches us. Of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. As a Christian, understand something. The scriptures clearly point out that he was raised from the dead and he was seen by people. So this is something that is definitive for us as Christians. If this is something we don't believe, well, I'll say it like this. There are fundamental places of understanding what Christianity is. And we'll go through that in uh, the, the 101 class. Okay? There are certain things we must believe. If we don't believe, we are not Christians. Bottom line, 
I know, I know that sounds aggressive. That sounds mean. It's, it's what's called truth. Okay? If we don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he resurrected from the tomb, okay, if we don't believe that, we are not Christians. If we believe this, this is the essence of the gospel, okay? We must clearly point that out, that he was raised from the dead and he was seen by people. Now, this is where things get a little interesting for us in how we apply this to our lives, okay? The first people to have the knowledge that Jesus was not in the tomb were women, okay? Now, that's an important note. We're going to briefly dive into that real quick. We're not going to go crazy in depth, but the point would be this. Women at the time in the historical and cultural context were not considered valuable members of society, okay? They just were not considered that. It was, it was like this. If a woman came and said, Jesus is not in the tomb, it would be like, oh, let's send a man to make sure. <laughs> that's, that's the way it is. That's the way it was in scripture. They would be like, this lady, she, you know, this lady comes back and she's saying Jesus isn't in the tomb. Let's send a man to go verify if this is true. Okay? This is just how it was. So we're going to read this. Matthew 28, 1 through 10, NIV. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. We talked about that earlier. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now think of this, and this context for me just blows my mind. Here's, here's the, after Jesus is mocked, intentionally humiliated, he runs into, and these guards run into an angel, not even Jesus. They run into an angel, and it says that they were so afraid, they became came like dead men. They played possum. We know about possums, right, Eddie? <laughs> they played possum. We had a possum at our house, that's why, that's, or at our apartment. It was crazy. Crazy night. Wild. So what, what I'm saying is they became like dead men, okay? And then in verse 5, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. I like that. He says, you know, it's not just like, hey, he's not here. It's like, a, no, come in, look, look, come all the way in. I want you guys to see he's not here. I love that. I love that. Okay. In verse eight, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. Galilee. There they will see me. And so I want, I want to take a minute to just say this. Jesus will always take the thing that society rejects and use it. The things that we look at as invaluable, cheap, worthless, and say, no, I'm going to use that because they don't think it's of any value. This, think about this. Think about this. Jesus himself was mocked and literally placed in a place that was worthlessness. And so Jesus takes the things that we think are worthless and says, I can use that for my glory. 
And here we have this, these women, they're the first ones to see him. They're the first messengers, the first testimony of Jesus isn't there. Okay, the second group of people were the guards. Matthew 28, 11 says, while the women were on the way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Okay, so you got the women and the guards. I want you to understand something. We have two groups of people that knew about the resurrection. Two groups of people. You had the women and the guards. Both of them knew Jesus isn't in the tomb anymore. They both knew. It was verified. They literally went to their superiors and said what happened. Now, you wouldn't just go and do that because it was their job to guard the tomb. So they wouldn't go and say, hey, um, we, we fell asleep. He's gone. They went and reported he's gone. Like it's some crazy guy showed up. The, the stone was moved and his body's gone. And we have two groups of people. And in our society, in our church, in our everyday life, we have two groups of people. And we can examine this. The thought is this. There are the followers of Jesus who revealed that he was not there, right? And then you got the guards who concealed that he was not there. The followers and the concealers. Now let's compare. The soldiers saw Jesus. The women saw Jesus. Both knew about Jesus, about the miracles of Jesus, about Jesus missing from the tomb. The information they had brought about different outcomes. In your life, there are moments of testimony. There are moments that God has done some things, right? The, God may have done something in your life. You will be left with the choice to reveal or conceal. There are some moments that God changes something in your life. It's miraculous. And you're left with a choice to reveal or conceal. And we can talk about Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Let's get excited about it. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. We all, we all can come to church and know about it. But there are those that reveal what God has done. And there are those that conceal. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church today. The Spirit of God will always encourage you to share the message of the resurrection of Jesus. The Spirit of the world will always ask you to be quiet about it. Conceal means this, keep secret, prevent from being known or noticed. Prevent from being known or noticed. In Matthew 28, the guards went into the city. In 12 through 15, it says this, When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. Now, let's pause right there. Because most of us think a large sum of money is something that make our lives perfect. <laughs> All I need is a million dollars, Lord. Take care of everything. But here you have the guards it says that they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. 
So you have two things going on here that I think is hilarious. You have money and safety and security. That's, that's the bottom line here. The guards were given money, a large sum of money. And then it says in verse 14, it says, if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Remember the get out of jail free card on Monopoly? Imagine a real one where you wouldn't get in trouble for anything. See, the problem is that our Christian walk, we don't have that. We may go to jail. <laughs> some of us, at some point in our life, may be persecuted for sticking to what Scripture teaches us. For the principles of our faith to say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be hated for this. I, I, this is something the whole world is telling me I can't say, I can't speak of. But Jesus, I'm going to do it because I, I, I'm not after the large sum of money and I'm not after the safety and security of getting out of trouble. The soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, like did as they were told. Let, let me tell you, the world will always tell you what to do. The world will always tell you what to say. There's plenty of, of uh, marketing uh, uh, campaigns, propaganda machines telling you, don't do this, don't say that, you're going to get canceled. <laughs> There's plenty of things that could put that fear to say, I don't want to get in trouble. But that is the spirit of the world. It always asks you to be quiet. When they shared the information, the guards were instructed. They were bribed to conceal what had happened. The world will always want you to be silent on the issue of the empty tomb. They will. They, they don't want to hear it. Those that are of the world just don't want to hear it. I went to church the other day. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> right away. Whoa, dude. I'm just telling you I went to church. I don't want to hear that. Don't, don't come out with your religious talk. All I said was I went to church. Like... Don't preach at me. What? You know, like they just, it's an attack. You know, the world in its lust will never want to bring glory to the resurrection of Jesus. Because if the resurrection of Jesus is real, then so is sin. Oh my gosh, that's scary. The world will attempt to get you to conceal the message of the resurrection. Everything to conceal it. The spirit of the world will always instruct you to be silent on the miraculous life of Jesus. That's the spirit of the world. The spirit of the world will always push against it. Like if you, if you post, right, on, on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever you got, right, Twitter. I'm still on Twitter these days. <laughs> if you, anything, whatever you're on, you put up there like, you know, a scripture, you know, if there was a, a dislike button, you'd be getting more dislikes than likes. <laughs> like, the truth, that's the truth. People just don't want to hear it. They don't. That's the spirit of the world. The spirit of God is about the proclamation of the gospel. Because, because there's a hurting and broken world, okay? And what happens is everything else that, that the world offers is to say, if you do these things, your life will be fulfilled. That's why being a coach, right, an a, a Instagram coach, a life coach, um, you know, all those things, that's why it became so popular. 
Because people are always looking for this thing to be fulfilled. They're looking for someone just tell me the answer. Tell me what I should do. And that's the spirit of the world because the proclamation of the gospel is that Jesus is the answer. And there's nothing else that's going to fulfill you. There's nothing else. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this, ESV. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, what's happened here is you can recognize that Jesus himself commissioned us. He said, go, talk about it, disciple people, get with them, go spend some time and talk about church. They don't want to hear it. That's okay. Talk about it anyway. (laughs) Talk about Jesus. Talk about the Bible. Talk about that scripture that you read that challenged you, the scripture that you read that comforted you, the time that you were praying and you just felt the Holy Spirit come into the room and you were like, what the heck is this? And people are like, this, this person is crazy. It, it, I, one pastor said this to me. You don't have to be crazy to be a Christian, but it helps. <laughs> and the reality is this, to put our faith in our heavenly Father, man, we have to take some steps that, are, that would seem a little extreme, a little bit different than what everyone else is doing. They're saying, put your faith in this, put your faith in that. And we're saying, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Mark 16, 15. I'm going to ask Melvin if he can come up and start strumming. Mark 16, 15 says this in the Message Bible, and it's not the whole text, but it's a piece of it. Then he said, go into the world, go everywhere, and announce the message of God's good news to one and all. See, this is something I love what the message is saying. He's saying, just go, tell everybody. And, And the thing is this, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't. You don't have to know the Bible from front to back. You don't, you know, I've met some people, you can literally ask, okay, what does this chapter, this verse say? And they're like, boom, they tell you. They know the Bible, like, boom, like, so great. I'm not one of those guys. <laughs> you ask me, I'll be like, hold on, let me Google that. I'm just kidding, it's not that bad. But, <laughs> but I'm saying that you don't have to be a theologian, but what you do have to do is you do have to share the gospel because Jesus commissioned us to do it. I didn't tell you. It wasn't something that the local church invented. It was something that Jesus said to us as Christians. Go into the world. Go everywhere and announce the message of God's good news to one and all. Because it's, it's like I said in the beginning, the Spirit of God will always encourage you to share the message of the resurrection of Jesus. The Spirit of the world will always ask you to be quiet about it. Let's stand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this last part with you, then I'm going to hand it over to Pastor Mancha. I want, to, I want to give this thought to kind of walk away with as well. There are followers or revealers, and there are concealers. There are those that reveal the truth to a hurting and broken world, and there are those that conceal. The gospel is good news. Did you know that? The gospel is good news for us. The gospel is good news for us. Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. Because I want you to think about this. The gospel is good news. He died covered in our sin. 
humiliated for us, intentionally made to be worthless, but he rose again in righteousness and truth and invites you to walk with him. Just keep your eyes closed.